you've had an idea, you've had a dream, you've seen the business you want to run. Now you've got to make it real. And this becomes the tough bit. How do you start? How do you get the idea concrete enough to be able to find your first customers? And where do you go? And in this episode, we meet Jessica that teaches entrepreneurship and Will, who's launching his own business. And we find out how Will went from a huge vision to a mini experiment. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. And as you know, the mission that I have been working on for many years is to change the way entrepreneurship is taught. Because, well, for me personally, business plans and debt or loans didn't actually help me to get going and to start my business. They had the opposite effect they stopped me. They made it harder. They made me question myself and whether I actually wanted to launch a business and go massively into debt. So ever since then, myself, my business partner, Simon, the Rebel team have been on a mission to help people start without debt. And then all of a sudden, I get an email from a lady called Jessica who says, I've been using some of your stuff and the podcast, and I work for Cleveland University. And we had a chat online and Jessica, like, how did you find out about the rebel entrepreneur stuff? How have you been using it? What's been going on? And yeah, like you've been helping us actually achieve the mission quietly without really us knowing. Oh, thank you. Uh, so I first discovered your content through the Choose FI podcast. And in that first episode that you were on, you gave an example of a restaurant that started with no debt and talked about pop-up dinners and prepaid dinners. And I paused the episode because it's not mind-blowing, but I had just never thought of it that way <laughs> at all. And so I was like, wow, this is actually wonderful. And so I, at that time, right when I started listening to Choose FI, I had accepted a graduate position working as a small business consultant through the Small Business Development Center that is partially run by Cleveland State University. And I was working with small business owners. And, and just like you said, people were just continuously getting stuck on the business planning process and forecasting and needing to go for bank loans. And I, at that time, started recommending your content to these small business owners before the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast even launched. Then when I was given the opportunity to first design an entrepreneurship course for Cleveland State, that's right when the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast came out. So I'm a non-traditional educator to begin with. And, and my mind just <laughs> sort of exploded with, wow, this is going to be the core of my content. I don't want to read a book about entrepreneurship. I want to listen to a podcast and, and just have a thought and be able to give my students the opportunity to have that sort of like pause and mind blown experience that I had when I first listened. I love that. I love that. And I Wow. I wish podcasts were a thing when I was at school, because imagine listening to a podcast and hearing real people. That's phenomenal. And actually, we have someone else on the podcast with us today. We've got Will. Jessica, please introduce Will for us. Who is Will? Why is he here? And why is he so lovely? Sure. Yeah. So Will is lovely. Absolutely lovely. <laughs> uh, and so Will is one of the individuals that took my course in 
the spring of, of this year. And Will stood out right away because I think he has an excellent business concept, which I'll let him talk to. But also he stood out in the sense that I definitely got the sense that a, a big loan was coming and was the plan. And so through access to the Rebel Entrepreneur, I really feel as though Will pivoted a lot of his ideas on what his business could look like. And from there, uh, Will, would you be willing to introduce yourself? Welcome to the show, Will. Thank you, Alan, Jessica. So my name is Will Conberry. As Jessica mentioned, I signed up for an entrepreneur class at Cleveland State as part of my master's program. And the timing of it was pretty good because I was knee deep in the business planning and business plan portion of an idea that I had. And at that point, I was pretty set in stone on how things were going to run. And I had the picture in my head how it was going to run. She introduced the pop-up business school right away. And it was almost instant that I realized that I had an inner anxiety that I didn't recognize until I listened to the podcast. That while I was very confident in my business idea, I was very confident in my experience and abilities. I run a company right now for a Norwegian owned company. I'm confident, but I didn't realize it at the time, but there was this underlying anxiety. And a lot of that came with the idea of taking out a business loan to make this happen. So I already had a, a draft business plan. I had already had discussions. And in fact, at the time I took the class, I had an agreement in place to purchase property to start moving forward. Wow. Fortunately for me, before I was convinced that deal fell through because of floodplain issues with the property. But the one podcast that we listened to about not going into debt, and there were several others, uh, mini experiments and getting stuff for free. And these all resonated with me because I, I thought to myself, it's easy to run a company when it's somebody else's money, but when it's yours, <laughs> I wanted this business to be exciting and fun. And I like to live my life that way. And I had a sense that the direction I was heading was going to go from fun and exciting to crushing weight and obligation. So I really took to the podcast to say, you know, maybe there's another way to do this, to maintain that excitement and passion for the concept, but without putting myself or my family, I have five kids, so I've got quite a bit of responsibility without putting them at jeopardy. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what started it. And I had an excellent experience taking that course at Cleveland State with Jessica. She did a great job and it just started me on a different path, same concept, but different direction. And uh, I'm back to my normal self and still excited about it. It's funny that you mention that it, that you run a company now, but it, it's different when it's with your money. Because for the first class, I had everybody go around and sort of say what their business idea was if they had one. And that's the phrase that I wrote down from you, Will, because I remember thinking, wow, this is going to be interesting because my whole premise, my whole thought process, what I'm going to expose you to is sort of not needing to rely so much on, on that financial piece. And so I'm glad that you incorporated that here too, because I, I thought that that was so telling as to where you were. Well, that's the premise, isn't it? That's what everyone believes is the first step is get the money. We've got to get the money to make this thing happen. We've got to find the finances. We've got to get that set so that then we can launch the business. And I think that's the thinking that the world has about a business. So it's perfectly like, that's what everyone does. That's normal. Is this the first business you're working on setting up, Will, or have you been a long-time entrepreneur? Have you, have you gone in and out of entrepreneurship? I would say I've had many, many ideas that I considered 
pursuing, but they, in one way or another, fizzled out as I ran numbers and determined that the risk reward just didn't fit. But I would say for many years, I've thought of concepts that I could do on my own, and I've had a desire to be an entrepreneur. My current position, I run a subsidiary, which I did start. So I kind of went through the process of establishing a company and getting things off the ground. So I have that experience, but this is the furthest I've gone on my own. Probably some very crazy ideas in the past that were quick to be discredited, <laughs> but um, this one stuck and I, I am still very confident. So tell us about your idea. And I'd love to know what the idea was when you arrived at Jessica's entrepreneurship course and then how that transitioned and where you are now. So maybe let's start with what was the idea when you arrived? That would be a great place to start. Sure. So my wife and I and our, our whole family, really, we've always enjoyed the islands on Lake Erie. So if you didn't know, there's, there are islands on Lake Erie and they're fantastic. And some people call them the Key West of the North. So it's a very interesting area high concentration of boating and vacationing. and They call it vacation land. So there's a big amusement park there. So we, we've always enjoyed that. And my wife and I have always dreamed of doing something on those islands. And I guess it really started with my mind always coming up with ideas. My eldest daughter and I went on a glamping trip in a, a location in Ohio back in May of 2020. And when I went through the process. It, it wasn't the greatest location. It didn't have the amenities that you would normally expect at a, a glamping location, but I instantly saw how wonderful this could be. And my first reaction almost immediate was, what if I could do this on the islands? I could see the demand, you know, just as a father of five, both for families and children and also young couples. You know, if I'm looking at a place to take my wife this would be a place that I would target as a, a location. And that really started it. So my idea pretty much was I want to do glamping in Northeast Ohio or Northern Ohio specifically, because there wasn't many options available and do it within a drive that is manageable and also to have like unprecedented access to water compared to other facilities. And when you're on an island, that's pretty easy to attain. Well, <laughs> at least there's a lot of water. The, the cost of the land is, is higher. So I thought if, if we could come up with a way to deliver an experience, a glamping experience that was unique, and this would be very unique, I'm certain it would work. So I started doing some research on some other glamping facilities in the United States and thought that, you know, really this is a good location with the population surrounding it, that it's within the drive and it's something that is not offered. And at that point, I thought I should pursue this. And I got to the point where I was negotiating with a, a landowner for a property that was for sale. At the same time, doing a forecasting, budgeting and, and that process, which I do currently in my job. And the numbers looked really good compared to what other facilities were doing in the U.S., and I knew the draw would be there. Availability on that island or on any of the islands is limited. So if I could create night stays there and a unique experience like that, I was very confident in its ability to drive revenue. So as I'm going through this process and I'm negotiating with landowners and coming up with business plans, at the same time, I was taking graduate courses to get my master's. And I had an elective that I had to select and I saw this business entrepreneurship toolkit class and I immediately signed up for it. And that's where I was when I signed up for the class. 
I had already been talking to banks and potential investors and all that stuff. So a few questions. Number one, glamping is glamorous camping, isn't it? Correct. I know it's more popular in the UK, but it's definitely gaining traction here in the US. And you know, it's basically a really elegant tent or other, <laughs> other structures where a lot of people like to go camping, but the process of going camping can be really burdensome, especially for a family. Yeah, it doesn't excite me. I'm no. 42. Like, I want a bit of luxury in my life. I don't want to have to set up the tent, dig the hole for the latrine, and uh, start <laughs> exactly. cooking. I'd like a little bit of glamour in my life. I think I'm possibly, like, I'm erring on the end of your customer spectrum here, I think. Yeah, and even me and my wife, you know, you know my wife's from a military family. I'm ex-military, and you know, we like to get outdoors. But at this point in our life, like you, Alan, I'm 43. I just want to show up enjoy myself. <laughs> yes. Let's have more fun. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that that's it. So you go in, it's fully outfitted like a, a luxury hotel, a nice bed, running water, kitchen, bathrooms. And then what we saw was the ability to, to leave your large safari style tent and sit on an Adirondack chair overlooking the sunset on Lake Erie. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's not just camping. My market research suggests that the, the occupancy of these places is very high. The night stay, the rate is quite high to do something like this. And if you could provide that with an experience with it, meaning you know amenities that are on the facility, it could be very successful. So just to give us a ballpark idea, how much were you looking at borrowing to buy the property build the tents, set up the running water and the deck chairs <laughs> overlooking the sunset? Because I love the vision. Yeah, it was getting to close to $2 million. Okay, so a $2 million loan, which, yeah, like it's a proven concept because it works around the world. Sure. The question, does it work there? Are you able to get the attract the people in? But yeah, $2 million loan. Then you meet Jessica and go on the course with the toolkit and you had this sort of underlying anxiety, which let's be honest, if I was taking out a two million loan, I would, I don't think mine would be underlying. I think it would be somewhere fairly on top because that's a big risk. Like you'd spoken to the banks, were they asking you to tie it to anything or would, was it an unsecured? It was unsecured. And, you know, I have good credit. I've got some assets cash wise that I'm sure they were interested in. And I've got the experience <laughs> But I will say, you know, $2 million sounds like a lot, but I'm a bit calloused with my current position for a multi-million dollar company right now. So part of that, it influenced my position on this because I'm used to throwing around a couple million dollars here and there. And without thinking like, wait a minute, this is your own personal finances. Maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's a big risk. And I felt very confident in doing it. Without knowing it until I started listening to your podcast, I, I realized that it was bothering me. And it's a good thing I listened to it because I, I was full steam ahead. So tell us, how has the plan shifted since you met Jessica in the uh, toolkit entrepreneurship course? So I think Jessica brought up too at one point that what stuck out to her was I, one of my assignments, I had to admit that I was angry at first because I had it all planned out. <laughs> Yeah, I think I got like, I don't know if it was like email feedback or what it was, yeah. but it was like, hi, Jessica, 
I'm really enjoying your course, but I have to admit, I'm quite mad that I took it because you're forcing me to rethink everything that I've decided already. So can we meet to chat? And I'm like, sure thing. Yes. So sorry that I forced you to rethink your life plan, but uh, really excited to talk. So I appreciate it, Jessica. That was uh, so glad I took the class because I was angry. I mean, I had this whole thing planned out. I was very excited about it. And uh, it took hearing these podcasts to make me realize that that's not what's best for me or even the plan itself. It would drain the excitement out of all of it. So the the path forward after that, well, I got to tell you this, Alan, the one podcast on asking for something for free, the very same day that I listened to that podcast, I was going through a period where I was a little discouraged on some of the negotiations and where things were heading and whether I was going to be able to do something. And in the middle of that podcast, I had the idea that I had been working with a gentleman on one of the islands through the process who was helping me through the process. And I just knew from conversations with him that he actually is a large landowner on one of the islands. And I thought, you know, what the hell? I'm going to send him an email <laughs> and say, I'm going to ask for something for free. And not, not necessarily free, but I threw the idea at him of what if you allowed me to set this up on your property? Is that something that you would even consider? And surprisingly, he came back and said yes. <laughs> so, I mean, there's details that are still in the works. We have another meeting in July, but he would share in some of the net income of the company that we're negotiating. But what that does is if I lose any money, I'm, I don't owe him anything and I don't own the land. So that's a good thing. And I, I just feel a lot more confident in this. And the idea is he's going to allow me to do that. We're going to sign a lease with a term long enough to allow me to make my money back what I invest. And we're going to start with a mini experiment to do a proof of concept. And I feel much more confident about this approach. I feel a lot more at peace about this and a lot more excited, quite frankly. It's it's less to swallow all at once. So I could start with this, gain the experience of of doing it on a small scale, see whether I like it. (laughs) And, you know, we, we can scale up as needed. And I've got a partner now that is uh, just as equally excited and is familiar with the islands. And I think it's a good, it's a good mix. I love that. A couple of thoughts from me. The first is like, just because you've changed from the dream of buying the land doesn't mean you won't get there. Doesn't mean that the dream doesn't exist. And it's not as though we've given up anything. We're just starting with the steps that get towards it. And I think quite often people want to jump to the end result. They they envisage, okay, I own 40 acres and there's 37 glamping sites across it with all the deck chairs and we're going to jump straight to the end goal. And I understand it. I had exactly the same thing. When I was launching Rebel Business School, my first idea was to have a permanent building. And I wrote a plan to borrow £500,000 to try and set up my own permanent business school. And then I bottled it because I didn't want to go into debt for a whole bunch of reasons. And we set up the pop-up business school because, well, I can just borrow someone else's building. Then I don't have to pay or go into debt. And funny enough, coming back round eight years later, nine years later this year, it looks as though we're just about to open our own permanent business school in central London. So I just say to you, like, you've not given up anything You're just starting in a risk-free way that is less binary in its outcomes. 
I don't know if that makes sense, like a one or a zero. It's not one, you'll make millions or zero, you go bankrupt for, well, actually it's one or minus one, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think your dream is still alive. You're just doing a test. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's it's good to hear that you got your dream in the end anyways. Really, property ownership isn't what wasn't my dream, at least for the business. It was more the fun of starting and running a business. And really, property on one of those islands would be great too, but maybe that's the reward for all this. And it's a personal property, not a business property. (laughs) I think also your point about seeing if you even like it. There's so many business owners that I think are interested in going from zero to 60 and it's it has to be perfect and it has to be the exact vision and it can't differ at all. When in actuality, you don't know. Do you like running a glamping site? Do they like running a restaurant? Like, do you like owning a bike shop? What do you, do you enjoy this thing? And running the mini experiment in the most risk averse way that you've come up with, I think will give you that opportunity to determine, you know, do you like working with your wife? Do you like having this be a family business? <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's a, a very good point, Jessica. Is not only that, whether do I like it, but the impact that this could have on my family with five kids. I don't want it to be such a distraction that I avoid what's really important. So it's a great philosophy: is to just run a mini experiment and see if you like it, see if it's too much on you and your family and your finances and all that stuff. And it, at the lower scale, you can take those risks, but you know you can handle if it does fail. And I'm much more comfortable in, in this situation. So, Jessica, like, what have you learned through this process of helping all these entrepreneurs? Because you've been at the coalface helping people with their business ideas. And it must be challenging when people send you emails saying, I'm angry. <laughs> you've made me rethink everything. What have you done? What's it been like? That was probably my favorite email ever, actually. But um <laughs> Yeah, so it's definitely been interesting. I I would say that not everyone has had the same response, right? Me wanting to provide that mind-blowing experience has definitely been met by some resistance that people who can't necessarily get outside of this traditional framework. And also a little bit of resistance from an organizational perspective. So my organization that I contract with, part of our metrics are based on capital infusion or how much money a bank is willing to lend. And so I, you know, I can only imagine when I started deterring people from pursuing bank loans and instead I, I'm saying, well, what if you try a pop-up? You know, that's definitely a different thing than a lot of people are are interested in doing. And I also think I mentioned at the beginning that I, I have a non-traditional teaching approach. And so now I, I also have a non-traditional approach to business ownership and so much unlearning has to happen that that's often what I'm working against from both a consulting perspective with small business owners, but also an education perspective. How, you know, the way that my course is structured, I very much just want you to have a thought. And so how do you turn traditional education, which is usually very like compliance driven, grade specific, how many points did I earn on this thing? I don't ever want to talk about points. I want to talk about the glamping business and whether you thought this podcast was an interesting fit for your your business. And and that's where I think mastery learning comes in. So it's been unique. Something that I heard you say in that sentence was unlearning. 
And I find that very interesting because we all go through life learning things and then we get to where we get to at 30, 40, 50 years old. And what does unlearning mean to you? How do you help people unlearn? And like, Will, if you've got some thoughts to chime in on unlearning, because like I've had to unlearn a whole bunch of stuff over my life. Yeah, I'd love to know. What does unlearning mean? I think unlearning for me in, in these contexts are exposing individuals, whether that's small business owners or students, to alternative ways to think about something that they thought was just a fixed answer. So I want to start a business. I write a business plan. I go for a bank loan. That is such a given in our society in many cases. And being able to poke holes in that thought process and say, well, what if you tried it this way? Well, what if you tried it this way? Well, what if you tried it this way instead of going for that that large loan or, or that large capital infusion? I would add just from a military experience, there's often times where guys come in with ways they've done things. And a lot of that process is breaking that down and making people do things a different way than they've done their entire lives so that they're part of a team. And to me, that's unlearning is something that's so ingrained in you, maybe from childhood, even that it's difficult to change directions. It takes a lot of work. And I'm still going through that process because that that process of, or that framework of come up with an idea, write a business plan, get funding. I mean, it's everywhere. So it, it needs to be unlearned to be able to think outside the box to do something that is still fun and can still work and be successful. Because I think I would add to this, the unlearning piece, the larger the societal pressure for these thoughts, the more people that say, the more books, the more institutions, the more whoever it is say, this is the way things are done, the harder it is to break away from that way of doing things. And you can look at this in all sorts of areas of life. You can look at it in finance, relationships, business. Uh, We get taught how to do things. And there's a way that the world does things. And then someone annoying comes along and goes, does it have to be that way? Could we do it different? What's the opposite? And asks annoying questions. But actually then, once you get past that, it can free you to think about things in a completely different way. And I guess the end result of everything that I try to do is to help people build the life they actually want. That, I think, is the end result. So if we think about your situation, Will, and where you're going to, you're thinking about building a business in glamping because you had an incredible experience with your daughter and it's really cool and you can make money, have fun, entertain people. Like, What's the life you're actually trying to build? And then what's the lowest risk, most fun way to get there is the kind of thoughts that I start to have. So there's a question for you. What life are you trying to build, Will? I mean, you nailed it. It's, uh, I want to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy my kids. I want to travel, see things and do things. I've had been fortunate enough in my life. I've been able to travel quite a bit and I want to put my mark on something. And I, I would argue that the money is not the driver of this venture for me. It's just, man, that would be fun to do. And I think the money will come. I can figure that part out, but that's not what's driving me. It's more to be able to do something that enhances my relationships with my wife and my kids and my family and do something that I enjoy and 
at some point be able to do this where you know, the old saying that if you do something that you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. That's where I want to get. And, uh, you know, maybe someday that'll happen with this glamping venture, but right now I, I don't want to disrupt my nature, the kind of person that I am, or I'm, I, I don't take things too seriously. I don't want to be stressed out. I don't want to go throughout my day worrying. So if I can do that and not fall victim to the, the worry, that's the life I want, Alan. I love that. And you seem like the most chilled out person ever from our <laughs> little experience here. You seem very relaxed, very chilled out. Five kids will do that to you. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine it. But I'm assuming, like, my assumption is you had kids because you want to spend time with them. And actually, then that becomes quite important. Are you building a business that leads to what you want? Because I built a business and I went out and just built pop-up business school, rebel business school. And actually what I found towards the end was I designed a business that took me to the communities that needed the most support. And it took me away from my wife. It took me two places. And I love that some of the time, but it was actually dragging me away from one of the things that was most important in my world, which was spending time with my wife doing stuff with her. And it's quite interesting. I don't think, definitely when I started, I did not go into it consciously thinking, is this business actually going to lead me where I want to go? And I'm not sure many people actually consciously do that. They just kind of get excited and build businesses uh, without actually thinking, is this going to lead to the life I want? I would say my, my wife kind of influenced this as well. A lot of the decisions in our family are, is this going to enhance our family life or is it going to take away from it. And that's the way we're approaching this clamping idea is the only way we do it. And the only way we would allow it to happen to our family is if it enhanced our family life. And that could lead to our kids getting involved in it and being a part of it and them being excited about it. And hopefully that happens. Yeah, I think you've got a great idea. So what are the next steps on the mini experiment? You've got the meeting in July with the landowner. And then how does this work? What are the next steps for this for you? Well, it's a bit of a process. So the zoning is an issue. So we got to get through some hurdles there. EPA issues with sanitary and things like that, that we have to get through. EPA? Environmental Protection Agency. So uh. wastewater management, things like that. So we got to get through that process. I already have an LLC started in preparation for this. So the next steps, I think, over this summer are to step-by-step step get over those hurdles with the hope of beginning in 2022, opening up for the 2022 season. And that includes, uh, we've already been in discussions with the tent manufacturers, what we need to do there, contractors that are willing to help us, to even just open conversations with people that we'd like to partner with in the area to provide that experience. So whether it's uh, food and entertainment, things like that. So we've already had open discussions with some people there that see if they're willing to participate in this so that we can focus on the glamping portion and let the experts handle the amenities. And that, quite frankly, in line with what do you want to do, I don't want to run a full-time hotel with uh, scheduling shows and planning meals and hiring cooks and stuff. I just want to provide the, the venue and then work with outside help to give the experience that we want. Was that something you knew right away or did that piece morph throughout the course of the semester as well? 
I would say that was something right away because we did not want to be running food service and sure. things like that. That's not something that we want to do. But it, it certainly it fits in with it where it's a risk reduction tactic and just being honest with people and, and trying to be a good person and relationships. And if you do that and you, you have good partners in, in this process, that's what's fulfilling to me. So if we could get a good group of people together to do this, um, I think it'll be successful. So it sounds like there's quite a lot of pieces to get in place ready for the mini experiment at the fall of 2022 to get going. The plan is online May 1st of 2022. So that's the goal right now, barring any unforeseen hurdles. Um, And I'm comfortable with it. I, I don't have too much to lose. If it failed miserably, I would lose, but it's a risk I'm willing to take, willing and able to make. And if it's wildly successful, I mean, the sky's the limit, Alan. I love that. That's awesome. Can I make an idea? Can I suggest something right now? Sure. Do you have a website up? No. Can you get a one-page website up with a mailing list to start building the people that you can mail and say it's coming on this date? Even if you're doing it all through Airbnb, even if you're doing it all that way, just having a list of 100 people, 200 people to say it's on, we're on for these dates, book now, would be incredible. Yes, I could, I could definitely do that. And With I, some that's, pictures that's, of you and yes. your daughter from the first one <laughs> saying, here's the idea, just sign up to the mailing list, it's coming yes. soon. Yes, that's something I can definitely do. You can have up to 2,000 people free through MailChimp. Uh, You could build a free website on Weebly, Wix, whatever you wanted, a one-page thing. I just, yeah, I'm always a big fan of having a bunch of people to sell to before you start to sell. Because otherwise we get all the way through to April next year and you go, "Uh, I'm ready now. (laughs) Whereas we could have just been building it up now. And if you can start sharing the vision, telling a few, you're telling people anyway, like... (laughs) You're telling people as you go around, like tell them to join the mailing list and you'll, you'll talk to them about it as you go along. And then you've got a bunch of customers waiting for you, hungry and excited. That's a great point, Alan. And that was in the podcast. So I should have uh, (laughs) stuck to that early on. (laughs) No, definitely not. Um, It's absolutely fine. If you did that, I would be redundant. So feel free to not do that. I'd love to help. <laughs> and we can definitely tell people on the podcast, there's a bunch of people listening who I'm sure love camping and love that experience. So we can definitely share that. And I think we'd all like to know how this mini experiment goes. Because like, it's not really a mini, mini experiment. Let's be honest. It's a couple of years long and it still takes some money, but it is way minier, minier. I've created a new world, way minier than borrowing two million and going all in. We've got a version you're comfortable with, and I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I will definitely keep you updated and be prepared for an invite to the grand opening. (laughs) I would love that. I would love that. So, Will, I'm going to come back to you in a second and I'm going to ask you the question, like, what would you say to the audience listening to this about your experience of having gone through this process? Because you've You've done a huge amount of work, so I'd love you to like have some thoughts that you can distill for the audience about what you've learned and what could apply to them and their thinking about their business. But before I come back to you with that, I do want to ask Jessica, having helped all of these different people through your course, what are the themes you've seen? What are the ways people come in thinking and how has that changed? And like, if you had a message to the want-to-be entrepreneurs out there, the people who want to launch businesses and are doing it, 
Like, what have you learned? What are the themes that you can give to people? Yeah, I think for the most part, a lot of the business, the you know, entrepreneurs that I start working with are really excited about an idea, but not sure how to get started and use the business plan and the forecasting process as a crutch to not jump in, <laughs> genuinely. Uh, and many of them, I think, get stuck thinking that they need to have these pieces in place and get stuck because they don't quite know what step one is and never take step one, never take the smallest step forward. And so that's what I, I spend a lot of my time doing is asking individuals sort of the reasoning behind their interest in writing a business plan, in doing the financial forecasts, or what might just the next right step be for them in their business, as opposed to having it all figured out. To be honest, sometimes I use the requirements of bank loans in order to get this point across. So it's much easier in the United States to get a bank loan if you are an existing business compared to a startup. So I might say things like, is there something you could start doing now to have some revenue coming in to be able to say this is a growth opportunity for your business as opposed to a startup loan? That's something that I try to weave in. I talk through pre-sales and, and how we might be able to bring revenue in so that you don't need a $10,000 loan to start up. You can use your own money that you're generating through the business in order to finance your first next project. That's sort of how I've been approaching the entrepreneurs that I work with in a consulting capacity. And that also plays in when I work with students that are taking my course in saying, okay, what is the next right step for the business that you're starting or that you're interested in pursuing, as opposed to thinking through the whole, what is the, the perfect vision of this five years from now? Because as an entrepreneur, like my business looks totally different from what I thought it would look like at this point. And so it's even if I had a business plan, which I was so super embarrassed that I did not have an, a business plan, we've never written a business plan. And I was really embarrassed by it until I found the, this world. But my business looks totally different than what I thought it would look like. And that's totally fine. So that's really the feedback that I would give to people who are starting out. What is the just the next right step? for you and for launching your business, not needing to have everything thought through when you're just taking that first step. I love that. <laughs> it did make me smile when you said you were embarrassed about not having a business plan. Super will and I will yeah. celebrate you. Congratulations. <laughs> we will you. celebrate Thank you. you. Thank it's really interesting because when I started, I went for support from the British government, from the traditional support services. They got me to write a business plan. I spent two weeks of my life writing a business plan. Will, it was beautiful. It had colored charts. It had diagrams. It, pages long. And then I went to see a customer. And do you think the customer cared about my business plan? Of course not. Didn't care at all. And actually, in that moment, they wanted something different than what I was suggesting in my business plan. And I had a choice. Either sell the customer what they wanted or stick to the plan that I had written down. So I uh, sold the customer what they wanted, put the business plan in the drawer and never took it out again. Um, and I actually found it when we went nomadic, when I was tidying out my house. And I don't know, I haven't got the courage to actually release it on my blog yet. I'm still a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> I did thought you read it through was it? very, oh dear, Jessica, I did. 
at the time I thought I was so cool. <laughs> I'd written this lovely business plan and now looking back, I'm like, what were you even thinking, Alan? Who That's was so this person? Maybe I'll get the courage to actually put it on my blog and show the world how bad I was when I started. You shouldn't be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> just like Because we've all got uh, I, I could dig up some stuff that ideas that came up with that were rubbish. So <laughs> We didn't have a business plan, but our first flyers for our business, oh man, wow. It was like a clip art picture of like my and Zach's bicycles, like that was grainy. It was really quite terrible, but you know, it was there and we got started, you know? Maybe we should have an entrepreneur's amnesty whereby your first three <laughs> versions of anything you get a pass on. Uh, Absolutely. You can, like stick it into the amnesty zone and then it all will be forgiven and you can just go on and running your business. Because I keep, I think I repeat this for myself as well, but I repeat it to everyone. You cannot get to version two unless you've done version one and version one will probably be a little bit rubbish. Thank you for using the word rubbish, Will. Uh, I noticed you spoke British for me on the podcast. <laughs> I think it was actually a Choose a Fi episode that they did an entrepreneur highlight and I, I captured it for the course. And the gentleman said, if you're not embarrassed by your first iteration, you waited too long to get started. And I just loved that quote because it's so, so perfect for this mindset. It is. It is. And Jessica was saying about deciding on the first step for your business. I'd just like to say to everyone listening I cannot think of a better first step for any business than speaking to a customer, like speaking to your actual target market and saying, I'm thinking of doing this. What's important to you? What do you enjoy? Would you give me your email address so that I can send you some stuff when it launches? Like even if you can't get to the version where you're actually asking for money, asking for an email address, like it's not ideal. It's not as good, but it's better than nothing because they've said, yes, I will give you my email address tell me when it launches. I don't think there is a better point for anyone than go and talk to a real life customer. I think that that's the key. I don't really care what business you're in, whether it's launching an app, a glamping site, a bike business, or a business school, speak to a real life customer and you will learn more in a 20 minute conversation with a real life customer than hours of Google research. So I would love everyone listening to this Go speak to a customer. Go find someone real. Go talk to them. That would be my advice. So coming back to you, Will, this big journey you've been on from finding land, coming up with the idea, what have you learnt and what would you say to the people listening that would help them on their journey? I think the biggest thing is we're all going to have things in life that make us a little bit anxious, but this is something starting a business that's a major commitment. And having listened to your podcast, I think the biggest thing is to not have crushing debt or obligation going into something. And there's many reasons for that. Even during my process, fortunately, I have friends that, are, that have many talents that help me on, in some of the early stages, such as branding and things like that, where it didn't cost me anything which is a good thing. You know, that's another one of your principles is to ask for something for free, even among friends and family. I, you know, he helps me with branding. I help him with some of my talents. And, but if I had not had that support from friends and family and branding and some of the other steps that I had already taken early on in my process, when that first piece of land was determined to 
have issues with floodplains, I would have spent a ton of money on that process for something that didn't materialize. So when I had to shift, um, I'd be carrying that either that loss or that debt with me. I didn't have to do that, but if I took the traditional route, have everything in place going into it, I definitely would have lost some money there. So my suggestion to anybody out there would be to really consider how you could get things started with many experiences on a smaller scale to prove your concept and do it to where you're not putting yourself at financial risk. And if I had spent all that money on that initial location, it would have killed my dream right away. And I wouldn't have been able to shift to another location because I I bet so much on that location. So my advice would be start small, start fast, fail fast, as you say, and have fun doing it. If if you're, if you're too stressed out about how you're going to fund things and how you're going to pay back banks, it's never going to be fun. And that's not a way to live life. I'm so glad that I found your podcast to be able to do that. What a lovely message, Will. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your ideas. Let's come back early next year and have another chat about how the mini experiment is going. And I'd love to help in anywhere I can sharing what you're doing. And if there's anything we can do, just let us know. Thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure. It's been awesome. Jessica, how can people find out more about you and what you do and your bike business? And like, you seem to do a lot of things. Yeah, lots of things. So currently I am, uh, probably the best way to find me would be on LinkedIn. I am offering consulting services through the Small Business Development Center. So if a listener is in Ohio, especially with the magic of Zoom, I would be happy to work with you. Those are free services for consulting. And I love to talk about taxes and small business ownership. And, uh, you know, from a bicycle perspective, uh, happy to talk about your favorite bike too. Uh, That's uh, the business that my husband and I run. It's called 2-1 Fix Bicycle. It is Cleveland-based mobile bike shop. I love that. And thank you very much for both of you coming on the episode today. For everyone listening to this, I think the closing message from me is, if you've got this huge idea, scale back. What's the small version you can launch quickly? Go speak to a customer, see what they think, and take action. You will never make your dreams come true unless you start to take action. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.